ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 132. We will be looking at verses 10 through 18 as we continue in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, this is the longest of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, and we only got two more after this one, so we're uh, getting near the finish line of this uh, series. Uh, the last time that we looked at Psalm 132, we looked at the first uh, nine verses where uh, the psalmist's uh, prayer is, Remember David and all his afflictions. His afflictions was that David, as you read it, he desired with all his heart to build a house for God. He had that desire. Uh, God, of course, would not allow him to build that. It would go to his son, though David would prepare the plans for it. But it showed in these first nine verses David's desire to, for true worship, his love of worshiping God. And the psalmist declares this and how that you know there's a strong emphasis in these verse, first nine verses about the Ark of the Covenant and how that... Uh, that you know, we will go as verse seven states into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool, uh, and, and we see this great desire and joy in worshiping uh, God. And we're going to be looking at verses ten through eighteen today as we continue this psalm. And before we read these verses, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most merciful God, we come into your presence today to worship you and help us have that joy of worship in you. For Lord God, when this brief life is over, that's what heaven is about. We read in Revelation 4 and 5, where we will be gathered around the throne saying, Holy, 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 uh, Lord God Almighty. And Lord God, I pray. I ask you, Lord, to help me as I, uh, Lord, read your word and preach it that I may do it effectively. Help me, your unworthy servant. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 10, we continue the psalmist's thoughts, his words that he wrote down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For thy servant David's sake, Turn not away from the face of thine anointed. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall sing aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Uh, these verses 
that we look at today in verses 10 through 18 is a prayer for David's dynasty. Dynasty meaning uh, his successive rulers from his bloodline who will rule from Jerusalem. And while it's a prayer of blessing upon David's descendants, his line of succession of rulers who will rule in Jerusalem, it ultimately points to the final king from David's lineage, the final son of David, Jesus Christ. And so I wish to speak to you this morning on the subject of messianic hopes. Messianic hopes, because these verses all point to the final son of David, the final king from David's lineage, the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice in verse 10, he says, For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. That is, turn away from thine anointed, the anointed being here, David's kingship, his those who follow in his footsteps from his bloodline. Because of your servant David, he is praying this. So the psalmist prayer for blessing on David's kin, who would be king, is prayed for the sake of David, you'll notice. For David's sake, on account of him. So the psalmist is attaching this prayer as he it begins in verse 10, to David, to David's name, to David for his sake. What does this mean? Well, it all goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I know uh, Brother Gary has covered this in our evening series, but this deals with the promise that God made to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In verse 12, now David was not allowed to build a temple, but God is going to bless David. Notice verse 12. He states, And when thy days be fulfilled, he tells David, that is when you die, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up, set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, he shall build an house for my name. He's referring to Solomon here. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of, thy, of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. God promised, made a covenant with David that your dynasty, your lineage will reign from Jerusalem. And unlike Saul, who who remember God turned away from Saul because of his sin, I'm not turning away from you. This is going to continue on forever, he states. Uh, even though if your sons rebel, I'll chasten them. They'll be punished, but I will not abandon 
them. Uh, my mercy shall not depart. Now, going uh, when we see this, he's saying, I'm going to make a dynasty of kings from your bloodline, David. Your son, who we know is, was Solomon, will build me a house. Three, I will not take my favor from him or from your line. Uh, I will discipline them. And fourthly, your house and kingdom will continue on forever. And so, when we're coming back to Psalm 132, the psalmist here is, when he's pleading for God's blessing upon the line of David, or his blessing upon the king. Uh, and this is not, I mean, we should always pray for the blessings upon our ruler. You know, that our rulers, whether it be our president, our governor, you know, that the Lord will use them. But God has not made a covenant with George Washington in 1776. I mean, the United States may go in the dustbin of history. The presidency may go in the dustbin of history. But with David, this was a promise of God. And look, when God makes a promise, He keeps it. And that's why He's saying, I'm attaching this prayer to the promise you made to David. For David's sake. So he pleaded uh, on this promise that God made to David. And as I was, you know, you can't help but when you read this, at least with me, how we as Christians pray. When we pray, bring our prayers before God the Father. Now we don't pray in David's name because there's no promise attached to King David regarding our prayers being accepted. But we do pray in the name of the Son of David the final king of Israel, who was the king of kings, Jesus Christ. What do we say? In Jesus' name I pray. Now that's not some magical formula, no more than, than him saying, you know, for thy servant David. Say, it wasn't a magical formula to get your, your prayer answered, his prayer answered, no more than when we pray in Jesus' name I pray. It's not a magical formula. We're putting our our, we're, we're stating a theological truth. And that should always, you know, we can get into vain repetition in that. You know, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now you're stating a theological truth. Jesus said in John 16, when we pray, in John chapter 16, In verses 26 and 27, it says, at that, at that day sh ye shall ask in my name. How shall we ask in my name, in Jesus' name, and say unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that I have come out from God. One of the great comforts that we have as saints of God, and this only goes to us who are believers. It's not a promise made to unbelievers. For you're not in covenant with God if you're an unbeliever. You have not, you're not, a, you have not been born again. You're, uh, this is the us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We pray on account of, of Jesus Christ upon His merits that he was born of a conceived and born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life without sin, that he died upon the cross for sinners, 
that He has rose again from the dead and He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us at this moment. By His merits and by His finished work on the cross, resurrection, ascension, we can approach the Father. And we're trusting in His promises What at the cross from Jesus' words. Just as the psalmist was basing his prayer on his blessing upon David's line on God's covenant made with, with David, so we come on the basis of the new covenant, the New Testament. Uh, Matthew Henry on these verses of Scripture in Psalm 132 about that for thy servant David's sake, Matthew Henry stated it so well to me. The Lord never turns from us when we plead the covenant with His anointed prophet, priest, and king. For that's who Jesus is. He is one greater than even David. He is prophet, priest, and king. Uh, and, he, and so the psalmist uh, prays uh, this, you know, the Lord is... Well, you can see what I said, verses 10 through 12, the Lord is sworn in truth unto David. He's going back to what was said of the fruit of thy throne will I set up on... Fruit of thy body will I set up on my throne. Uh, and, and, and if your children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. Again, this is all goes back to what we were reading in 2 Samuel. God's blessing upon those of David's uh, lineage. And he pleads on this covenant that God made with David. And then in verse 13, we read that the Lord has a chosen place. The Lord has chosen Zion, Jerusalem, as his resting place. Uh, in the Old Testament, this was true. Uh, this was his. This is my rest forever. I will dwell, and, and you'll you'll see here how he promises to bless her provision, satisfy her poor with bread in verse fifteen, clothing her priest with salvation, and the uh, and her saints shall shout aloud with joy there in Jerusalem. Now this is a prayer for an ideal place of what Jerusalem should be, where God is worshipped and glorified. And even the poor will not be in want. Basically, the poor will be satisfied in this place. Basically, no more. But let me ask you, did we ever see this come, come to pass in the earthly Jerusalem of the Old Testament? That he is praying, you know, he's saying, may this, you know, come true well we never do to be honest we never do uh it was a you know jerusalem you know it's a funny you see some of these people who are critical of the bible it was one critical scholar says you know if you look in the old testament you know we dig up archaeology and we find the israelites worshiping a lot of other gods and as somebody pointed out, well, maybe you need to read the Old Testament. That was the biggest problem they had. They kept chasing after other gods. And that was one of the problems with Jerusalem of old. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1 with me. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. 
Isaiah chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. What did Isaiah say to Jerusalem? How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Oh, there was righteousness. There was goodness. You know, we during the time of David, there was some of the ideas of what we read here. And even some of the kings... But Jerusalem of old always struggled with idolatry and sin. She was she how the faithful city became a harlot. Verse twenty two the silver has become dross, the wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Every one loveth gifts and followeth after after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. In other words, as time went on and during the time of Isaiah, a lot of injustice was done to the poor. Taking bribes, judges did. Hey, goes on today too, doesn't it? In our modern day politicians who seem to be more concerned about who's going to, when they get to what, hey, when they go on the campaign trail, boy, we're going to do this for the people. But then they get it in Washington, all these lobbyists offering money, and they seem to forget they have an idea that they want to be, you know, that guy that's for the people, but too often they're not. The psalmist is looking toward a, a, you know, that ideal Jerusalem where there will never be none of this. Unfortunately, Jerusalem was continuing battling between ungodliness and godliness. No, turn to Second Kings twenty-three. Second Kings twenty-three. This was the last of the godly kings of, well, this would have been Judah, but the last godly king to sit upon the throne of, of David before the, Jesus Christ. And that was Josiah. And God pronounces a blessing. Of, uh, well, basically, this is talking about how great a king that Josiah was in verse 25. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul. Now that's fulfilling. Remember, that's the highest thing that you can do in the law, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. The Bible says Josiah did this, that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to the, all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. But then verse 26 Notwithstanding, the Lord turned turn not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the proclamations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. And the Lord said, I'll remove Judah also out of my sight as I've removed Israel and will cast off this city Jerusalem, which I've chosen and the house of which I said my name shall be there. Jo the, Josiah led probably the, one of the, the last great revival in the history of Old Testament Jerusalem. The last great one. And God blessed him and, and the word of God commends Josiah for what he did. But God says, I haven't forgotten what Jerusalem and Judah has done. 
Because I'm getting the implication when I read this that though the king, you know how he had led the people, the people still weren't committed. Because after Josiah died, what happened? They went right back into their sin. And they got worse and worse until God had them hauled away into to Babylon and the entire city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple destroyed because of their sin. Just as it states there. They just didn't live up to what we read in Psalm 132. Jesus in, in Matthew 23, I like, I like to call this Jesus giving a quick summary of Old Testament Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23. Verses 37 through 39 states, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. Who's Jesus referring to? He's referring to the history of the Old Testament. How they continually rebelled against God Almighty, Jerusalem did. They stoned the prophets. They rejected them. How often would I have gathered thy children together? Even as a hen gathereth her chick, chickens under her wings. And ye would not. Look, here is the Messiah. The son of David, Jesus Christ. And guess who they're going to reject? They're going to reject him, Jerusalem will. He states in verse 38, Behold, your house is left unto you, Desolate, For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus here looks to another Jerusalem. And I believe the psalmist in Psalm 132, as he looks toward that ideal Jerusalem, is pointing to, that, to the ultimate Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem of this earth never lived up to this prayer because of sin. But this psalmist looks to that new Jerusalem that's coming, my friends. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verses 22 through 24. And I, I love these two verses of Scripture. It should be an encouragement to us, I believe, when we read this in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews says this, and we can apply this to us who are believers. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which I believe this psalm points to, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the children, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Uh, look, Abel's blood cried out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out for grace and mercy upon us. We come to that city, that city of grace. Revelation 21. 
And verses 2 through 4, John says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Uh, there's a song that Bill Gaither, who some of y'all know, a southern gospel singer, uh, even in contemporary Christian music also, but more southern gospel today, song, sang, says, I'm looking for a city where we'll never die. There the sighted millions never say goodbye. Oh, we look to that city. And I believe, ultimately, folks, here, this, this, the, the psalmist is pointing to that city, my friends, that perfect city where God is worshipped perfectly, where there's no sin, where there is no... Hey, that nobody hungers anymore. His total satisfaction and where the, his priest would, he closed his priest with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy for all eternity. Oh, my friends, we should be looking toward that city, that eternal city. You know, I... I see so many people, people my age and older that I see every day who seemingly have no hope. Look, we, 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 I sometimes think we're a little hard on these uh, generation, what I call it, Generation Z, these kids in their 20s and stuff, you know, we're always bad-mouthing them. Uh, they don't have no morals and values, we say. Folks, I see people my age and older don't have no moral values. And look... As I get older, and I think all of us, and now you can die at any age, we're getting close to the finish line. And we should start be thinking about eternity. And if you're not thinking about eternity, there's something wrong. And I think that we as saints should be thinking of it with joy that our race is coming to an end and we'll receive the full reward that is accomplished by Christ's death upon the cross and His resurrection. In verse 17, going back to Psalm 132, he says, There will I make a horn of David to bud. I have adorned, I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. In Jerusalem, the horn of David will bud. You know, this was the place, you know, I prepared a light for David's, you know, anointed kings. But we know that only a handful of those from David's lineage followed the Lord. Only a handful. We just looked at one of them, Josiah. But most were godless kings. The psalm is ultimately looking toward the final king from David's lineage, Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah prophesied of this. And I, well, I'm not going to turn there. You've heard it. We Christmas time. Uh, uh, Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 and then we see the fulfillment of that in Luke chapter 1 and I do want to read that in Luke chapter 1 I know we read it around uh, it's the time of Christmas but it's always good to read these verses of scripture uh, verse 
31 through 33, where the angel Gabriel said to the Virgin Mary, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And what does it say about Jesus? Verses 32 and 33. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Look, that promise that was made to David in, in 2 Samuel 12 finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was born of the lineage of David, a virgin born into it. And there's a reason why I know we sometimes like when you read the Bible, you go through these genealogies you read in Matthew chapter 1. I know Brother George and Bryce read through that this uh, last few months and how that, you know, you begin it, and it's a lot of begotting. You know, a lot, you know, it goes through that long lineage and some people say, man, it just gets old. Hey, that's God, the, Matthew was showing us that Jesus is of the lineage of David. That's what that lineage there in Matthew chapter 1, that he is the fulfillment of David. He is the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. And so this psalm points to Jesus Christ, ultimately, the perfect king. And then in verse 18, going back to Psalm 132 again, the psalmist closes the psalm Speaking of the enemies of the king being clothed with shame and the triumph and the exaltation of the king, the son of David. As I stated earlier, this was never fulfilled in the Old Testament. Uh, never full realized. You know, they had, as I say, they had some great kings. You, yeah, when I think of the, some of the great kings from David's lineage, you think of Jehoshaphat, you think of Hezekiah and Josiah. But ultimately it all points to Jesus Christ. Uh, there is coming a day when His enemies will be clothed with shame. And I'll say this, my friends, if you know not Christ, if you have not bowed your knee to His Lordship, you can read Psalm 2, uh, you're going to be clothed with shame. But upon Himself shall His crown flourish, it states. You'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 23 and 24. Oh, excuse me, verses 24 and 25. Speaking of the coming resurrection, the exaltation of Christ's kingdom, the second coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Look, Jesus Christ, the reign of Christ, by the way, is, isn't going to come in the future. It's began. It began in, in the Gospels with his resurrection from the dead. Death is defeated. And He must reign till all His enemies are put under His feet. 
And it states in verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17, the Apostle John wrote these words. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. Notice here, by the way, he's got all classes of people mentioned here. Kings, great men, rich, chief captains, mighty men, bondmen, slaves, poor people, you could say, free men, free men, they hide themselves in the dens. Rocks of the mountains. These are unbelievers, however. And what does it say in verse 16? And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Oh, hide us from His face. This is going to be the cry of the lost world on the day of judgment as they stand ashamed, realizing it's too late. The great day of His wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? None. The only people who will stand in the presence of God are those who have been bought by the blood of Christ. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 18, States, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Let me tell you, folks, there's coming a day when the kingdoms of this world are coming to an end. These people who are striving for power today, whether they be prime ministers or presidents or kings, their day's coming to an end. There's a greater king coming. And notice in verse 16, And the four and twenty elders which sat down before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry. Doesn't that describe the nations today? We got of war in Ukraine. We got war between Israel and Hamas. We got the Houthis firing missiles at in, at in at American ships and other European ships. Uh, you got other wars going on. They're angry. But notice what it states: "And thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they shouldest be judged, and thou shouldest give reward in thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth." A day of justice is coming. There's wars going on today. There's injustice coming. People mocking Christ. Evil being done. We've seen this in history from the Holocaust during World War II by the Nazis. We've seen this by Stalin. We've seen it 
throughout history in Rwanda, what was done there and is continually to be done in places like North Korea. There's coming a day when that's going to end. The king is coming, my friends. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself it states, the psalmist states, shall his crown flourish. The things of this world, my friends, fade away and do and are fading away. But we look to the Son of David, the King of Kings, the final King in David's lineage, perfect God, perfect man, who was born of a virgin, died on the cross for sinners and is risen again. But here's the thing about it, he's also coming again. And his second coming, he's coming to bring justice upon this world. And for those who know him not, it will be a terrible day. I ask you today, my friends, is Jesus your king? Now, He's King whether you acknowledge Him or not. And there's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. Do you love Him as your King? Uh, if you're lost here today, there will come a day when you will bow. But, my, but don't put it off. Don't... Uh, don't wait to that day when you bow because of you realizing your humiliation and the day of judgment's coming. Hide me from the face of Him that sits upon the throne. Oh no, my friends. Come during this time of grace and mercy. Believe upon Christ. Know that He died for sinners like yourself and like me. And that He has risen. Bow the knee of your heart to, today. And believe upon Christ. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord God, we give praise to you today for your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit is one God. And Lord, help us to rejoice and be joyful. We who are believers in our Lord Jesus Christ for what He has accomplished for us upon the cross. And Lord, we pray for those who know not Christ, who, are, who have still are not bowing their knee to Him, who are still in rebellion, who won't believe upon Him. Oh Lord, we pray that, Lord, You will send Your Holy Spirit to convert them to look to Christ and Him alone. May we as believers, though we, Lord, live in a land of evil that is against God, may we have our eyes as Abraham did on that city that, has, that Lord, has no builder but God. Oh, Lord God, um, keep our eyes upon that eternal city each and every day, and we just give you thanks and praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.